0: Good morning everybody. Today we are going to finish our series in the book of Acts. Last week we looked at the final chapter of the book of Acts and today we're going to do a overview looking at five key lessons learnt from the book of Acts. So let's come before God in prayer and asking that he would recall to mind those wonderful truths that we've learned but also that they would transform our hearts in the way in which we live. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the rich truths you have been teaching us through your word. We thank you that what you were doing in the life of your early people is the same thing you desire to do in the life of your people today. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have entrusted us with the good news of the gospel. Help us to be good stewards of all you have given us to live and proclaim the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would work in us now in his name. Amen. It was in the first century, on the third floor of a rather warm torch lit room in Troas. Paul is in his last night there and is teaching the people for one final time before he departs. Now things go on for a little while And a young man named Eutychus, who's getting a little bit sleepy, decides he's going to take a seat in the window as a way of thinking a bit of fresh air is going to keep him awake. But in the end, he loses the battle. He not only falls asleep, but he falls out of the window to his death. The Apostle Paul prays for him, he's healed, and that's recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 20. Now, we could recreate most of those events. I could take you down to a third floor room somewhere here in Toowoomba and teach you into the late hours of the night until you're starting to get really tired until one of you decides, let's take a seat in the window to get some fresh air to try and stay awake through boring Steve, whatever he's doing, and you fall asleep. The same thing's going to happen. Gravity does the same thing now as it did 2,000 years ago. You fall to the ground and you crash. Now, I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to pray for you to be healed like we see in Acts chapter 20, unless, of course, that was God's will for his glory. But the point I'm making is some things never change. Gravity does exactly the same thing today as it did back then, 2000 years ago. And the reason I highlight that is that we have been preaching over a period of three years throughout the book of Acts, which we often referred to as the continuing acts of Jesus Christ through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the writer of Hebrews is correct, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what we're looking at this morning is not just five lessons that are helpful for those in the first century, but five lessons for us today and today forevermore. Now originally we started preaching through the book of Acts in 2018 as a follow on from our discipleship training school, a eight-week program to, to make and mature disciples that we put together. Now we knew, always knew from the beginning that an eight-part training course is never going to guarantee transformation in the hearts and lives of people, nor adding another 44 sermons on top of that. But one of the bonuses that we've had by spending three years and over 44 sermons is we've been able to slow down, take a look at the details, but also to over three years to constantly be bringing to mind God's heart and mission to make and mature disciples of all peoples. Now, I realize some of you can't even remember what was in the sermon last week. Never mind what was preached back in 2018. So we're going to look at five key lessons from the book of Acts, which are number one, that you are empowered to witness. Number two, mission happens where you are. Number three, the church was devoted to growth and multiplication. Number four, God cannot be stopped. And number five, Where the church grew, sorry, where the word grew, the church grew. So starting with, you are empowered to witness. Now I remember when I was a young Christian, I thought evangelism was something that the evangelists do. Sort of like when Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and he says, And he gave apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that clearly some were evangelists, and isn't it great that I wasn't that person? But what we come to see is that from the perspective of every single New Testament author, is there is an expectation that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are by nature called to bear witness to Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's even evident in the basic Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18-20, to 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says that when a disciple is made, they are to be taught to observe or to practice everything that he had commanded them. In other words, it is self- perpetuating that the disciples that are made are also commanded to make disciples who multiply and so on and so on. You could say a similar thing about Timothy as Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Timothy's not an evangelist per se, but Paul encourages him to do the work of an evangelist. What's really interesting is in all of the New Testament, Guess how many people get called an evangelist? Only one. It's not Paul, who saw lots of people come to faith. It's not Peter. It's not John. It is Philip, who wasn't even one of the 12 apostles. One of the opening commands of Acts shares it in this way. It says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now what that verse says is more than just providing an outline to the book, which does in a sense provide an outline. We see ministry as they bear witness both in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. But it also is an account of what happens When the Holy Spirit comes into the life of every Christian, you receive power to bear witness, amongst many other things. Now, for a lot of Christians, this terminology of being a witness or witnessing kind of makes us cringe, kind of makes us feel inadequate, like, no, that's for someone else. I could never do something like that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the power to do something like that. Jesus says, when you receive the spirit, which according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is when you come to faith in Christ, you receive power from God to be his witness, to be enabled to bear witness. And I need to remind myself that on a daily basis because I don't feel adequate to do so, but I know that God has placed his spirit within me and he has empowered me and every other Christian for this very purpose. I think sometimes when we read through the Gospels and through the book of Acts, we presume that Jesus chose 12 particularly gifted men who are naturally inclined to do this type of work, but that's completely the opposite of the accounts we have in the Gospels as Jesus calls the 12, they're just ordinary everyday people. Fishermen, tax collectors, if anything, the book of Acts is a reminder of the power of God at work amongst weak people. The Holy Spirit is God's indwelling presence within you to empower you, every Christian, to be his witness. And because every Christian is empowered to be his witness, means that everywhere a Christian goes is a mission field. Or in other words, mission happens where you are. Sometimes it's kind of sad when you hear the word mission or missionary spoken. The only narrow thought that people have is someone who goes overseas to maybe to a a country in Africa in order to do gospel ministry. Maybe someone you've got their photo of their family with their 20 kids on your fridge. So you're reminded to pray for them. Or maybe you've gone on a short-term mission trip and you think, I can't wait to go on another mission again. Well, I've got good news for you. You can be on mission every day of your life without needing to change your vocation, without even needing to leave your, your house. You can live in the exact same place you've always lived. Because this is the way Paul speaks To the people who were gathered here in Athens in chapter 17, he says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. God has determined the number of days everyone will live, the very boundaries where people will live, For the set purpose that people might seek and find God. Or in simple terms, where God has placed you to live and to work is your God-ordained mission field given to you by Jesus Christ. Now, if there's anything positive to come from this idea of us thinking of an overseas missionary when we hear the word mission or missionary, it could be helpful to think about how does a missionary operate? Usually they learn the language, and presumably in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that's pretty simply done. But as a learning of a culture, understanding the nature of the people around you, thinking about ways to intentionally engage and build relationships with those who are around you, thinking of ways to communicate that timeless, wonderful gospel in a way that is suitable to that context and culture. And also how to grow them, how to prepare them and equip them to be self-sustaining, not only to help themselves grow, but also to minister to others. I even like that idea that we, you know, that picture you see of missionary family on fridges, the idea of just having family members within our own church family on fridges as a reminder of we are all on mission. Like it might say from our old house, Adam's family, gospel missionaries gorman street darling heights which not only reminds us of our identity if we were to do something like that and put things on our fridge but it would also remind us to be praying for one another in light of that identity and this mindset of mission happens where we happen we see that throughout the book of acts We see that in that original chapter 1, verse 8, the mission began where they were in Jerusalem. But also when you come to Acts chapter 8, we see after the martyrdom of Stephen said, all of the Christians scattered except for the apostles. So the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem and the everyday Christians scattered and without a command from the apostles saying, we're staying behind, you've got this work to do. They naturally began to preach the gospel wherever they went. Because this was part of their identity. Where Christians went, the gospel went, and missionary work continued to take place. So mission happens where God's people are, and where God's people are is where they gather, is where it becomes church. The church which is devoted to growth and to multiplication. There's something just really infectious about encountering a new Christian. Their excitement, their enthusiasm, you just want more and more of it. And I'm always praying for Eastgate that we would see that happen, that God would bless us with new converts who come to trust in Jesus and that enthusiasm would be infectious amongst our own people. As we start to understand ourselves of people who have received power to bear witness, that mission goes wherever God's people go. I love this description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, which says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising gods and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was a church that was devoted to things that would help them grow. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word itself. They were devoted to fellowship, to to meeting together. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, whether that meant sharing a meal together or of communion, the term is used in both of those contexts, and to prayer. So the word, the gathering together, the breaking of bread and to prayer, they were committed to. These were the things they were insistent upon. These were the th- things they considered to be non negotiable to their identity. This is what I do. And the response was this number one, awe came upon every soul as they were devoted, as these were the non negotiables of their life. And secondly, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The outcome of their spiritual growth. Was awe and numeric growth. And as we continue through the book of Acts, we see that is a pattern we see throughout the book. We see the making of disciples, the maturing of disciples, the mobilizing of disciples, and the multiplying of disciples. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. And when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul was about making disciples. He would return to strengthen them. He would raise up and appoint elders and bring them before God in prayer, trusting that work would continue to go forward, grow, and multiply. That's what church looks like. A church, it leaves them as that model about establishing, growing, maturing, sending out, multiplying. That's what we're about. That's what we're about as a church. And won't it be an exciting day when we start to send out? Equipped elders, as you know, we're already beginning a process of, of leadership development within our church. It's going to be exciting when we start to send out elders, and I'm just, not just talking about sending out Samuel, commissioning him to serve into another church somewhere else, which he'll probably be doing sometime in the next eighteen months. But what about when we start to either plant another church out of the Eastgate Bible Church or sending out elders to to help in the ministry of another church? God's people are always growing, always multiplying as God enables them to. This is God's plan for the church, and this is a God who cannot be stopped. Both Psalm 115 and 135 both have a phrase saying that God does whatever he pleases. This is a sign of a God who has all authority, all power. Every single thing that he sets out to accomplish, he accomplishes. He has no rivals. He has no challenges. He has nothing that can hinder him from carrying out the very things that he plans to achieve. And as the church began to grow, the Jewish leaders began to get concerned. What do we do about this? And so the council met together in Acts chapter 5. And this was the advice given to them by the rabbi Gamaliel. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan is of, sorry, if for this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. He's not a Christian. He is a Jewish rabbi. But he understands that if this has come from man, it's going to come to nothing. But he also recognizes that if this has come from God, you can't stop it. Because God achieves every single thing that he sets out to achieve. And throughout the book of Acts, we have seen things which to the human eye would seem to be an unconquerable hindrance. that It's going to bring these things to a complete stop. Yet, They have nothing by way of hindering the plans of God. For example, in Acts chapter 12 and chapter 16, we see two occasions where God's servants are placed in prison. On one occasion, an angel helps Peter get out. On the second occasion, there's an earthquake provided by God and the people are able to get out against all of the odds. We see Saul in Acts chapter 9 the one who appeared to be the greatest opponent to, to the Christian church, the greatest opponent to Jesus Christ, yet in his encounter with Jesus Christ, becomes the greatest instrument for the furtherance of the gospel throughout all of the rest of the book of Acts. Or remember a couple of weeks ago, as we see Paul had appealed to have his case heard by Caesar and he's, he's headed to Rome by a ship. There's a time when they're in such a tumultuous storm for 14 days that every single person on board on that ship has given up any hope whatsoever of being saved. And yet they are saved. And Paul does make it to Rome. And then last week we were reminded that even though Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, he says, but the word of God is not chained. He still continued to have a powerful, fruitful ministry by those who would come to hear him and he would teach them about the kingdom, about Jesus Christ and he'd write a number of letters that we have in our New Testament that we still benefit from today. This is the same God that you and I serve. The same God that John says in 1 John five fourteen and 15 that if we ask anything according to his will we have those requests that we ask of him. There's no little asterisk and a little footnote with fine print that says, as long as you don't ask for anything too big or anything outside of the ordinary, it says that if it is God's will, what you ask for, you will have it. No matter how big, no matter how grand that is. Like if you would pray and ask God for the salvation of the most militant atheist you know, if that is God's will, it will happen. If you pray that God might use you as someone who feels the least capable of talking to someone about Jesus, yet it is God's will to work through you as a powerful instrument, it will happen. Our God has all power, all authority. He cannot be challenged. He cannot be hindered in carrying out anything he desires to do. And it would do us very well as we come before him in prayer to remember who we come before in prayer but also to remember who dwells within us as God has placed his Holy Spirit within us. Now God is all powerful. He could do all of it by himself if he chooses to do the ministry to point people to what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection through the means of people and his word. And there is one phrase that we see come up time and time again throughout the book of Acts. Where the word grew, the church grew. It's an unmistakable correlation between those two things. Where the word grows, disciples or the church grows. Acts chapter 6 verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great Many of the priests also became obedient to the faith. It says a similar thing in chapter 12, verse 24. The word of God grew and multiplied. Now, you're probably aware the mission statement of Eastgate Bible Church is to know the word, to live the word, to proclaim the word for the glory of the name. When we speak of the word, we're not just speaking only of the written word, the scriptures. But the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, we are to be a people who who know the written word, who live the written word, who proclaim the written word. But a people who also know the incarnate word, Jesus, who live, Jesus, who proclaim Jesus. You see, the word is the means by which God has given us both to make people wise to salvation and to bring them to maturity. We see that described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through to 17, where Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have become acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God we have seen that cannot be chained, cannot be bound, is able to make you wise for salvation, and complete and equipped for every good work. God continues to save and to mature a people as people point to to what Jesus has done in his word through ordinary people. So in concluding, how do you conclude a sermon that is effectively a series of conclusions over the whole book of Acts? Well, I want to begin by talking about something that we spoke about in the first ever sermon and then recap what we've looked at here this morning. Firstly, what is the book of Acts? Sometimes it gets referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But as I've studied the book of Acts, we see that front and center stage, it's not the Apostles so much. Some have concluded that maybe the book should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And while the Holy Spirit is definitely active throughout the book of Acts, it would be wrong to say that the Holy Spirit is front and center stage of the book of Acts. To probably better answer that question, the best place to go is to the opening two verses of the book of Acts itself. So let's look at those now. Luke says, In the first book, referring to his gospel account, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke says his gospel account was the record of all that Jesus began to do and to teach as a way of implying that this book of Acts is the continued record of what Jesus continues to do and teach. So while it's not the shortest title, possibly the best title for this book is The Continuing Acts of Jesus Christ Through the Apostles by the Power of the Holy Spirit. So what has Jesus been doing in the book of Acts? We've seen that he has sent the Holy Spirit to empower people to be his witnesses. That we have seen that where God's people go is where mission takes place. We've seen that God, through Jesus Christ, is growing and maturing and multiplying his churches. We see that Jesus is able to do everything he sets out to achieve, And we see that where the church, the word grew, the church grew. So if the author of Hebrews is correct, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is Jesus' heart for Eastgate Bible Church and for any church and for his people? It is that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. That mission would happen wherever they go. The churches would be growing and multiplying, that we'd be trusting that every single thing that Jesus sets out to accomplish, he accomplishes. And that where the word grows, where the word is front and center. So the church and the disciples will grow and we're going to come before God in prayer and ask that God would do those things in the life of his people here at Eastgate and all around the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the lessons we've learned throughout this book of Acts. We don't presume that we just have an instruction book for us to go out and do things in our own strength. Jesus was very clear saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, Lord, we, we come before you asking that you would do those things that you were doing through, amongst your people in the book of Acts. We ask that we would have confidence that your Spirit dwelling within us empowers us to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us all the mission field; that mission happens wherever we go because we are your empowered mission people. Lord, we thank you as your heart for your churches to grow and to multiply. And we pray that you be doing that amongst Eastgate Bible Church, and we thank you that there is no hindrance to any plan that you would set forth. And we give you thanks as we come before you, that your plans will all come to their fruition. And Lord, we thank you for the reminder, wherever the word grows, your church will continue to grow. Help us not to wander from your word. Help churches around the world not to wander from your word, that we might see churches which flourish, that where there might be a sense amongst churches where there was awe amongst the souls of everyone, where the Lord is continually adding to their numbers. And Lord, we ask that you do that in us and you do that in all of your people as we uh, prayerfully depend upon your spirit to work through us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.